Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. The following podcast contains explicit language. I've heard stories of girls who grow up happy and well-adjusted with a healthy relationship to food and their bodies. Screw those bitches. Hello, and welcome to another Slate Spoiler Special. I'm Slate Podcast producer Daniel Schrader, and today we're spoiling Insatiable, the much-maligned Netflix series starring Debbie Ryan and Dallas Roberts. Here to talk with me about the show is senior managing producer of Slate Podcasts, June Thomas. Hey, June. Hey, Daniel. And Vox Culture staff writer Constance Grady. Hey, Constance. Hey, thank you for having me. Of course. Thanks for coming on. So, um... I guess we should dive in. Let's talk about Insatiable. First, I guess we should get first impressions. Uh, What did we think of the show? How did it go down or not the first time you watched it? Uh, Constance? All right. Well, this is going to be interesting because we've kind of flipped the balance of power, right? (laughs) Like, I think Insatiable has, what, an 11 or 12 percent on Rotten Tomatoes right now. But in this room... Oh, it had 10, but then it has 11 now that I've reviewed it. Because of you. Because of you. (laughs) Yes. You single-handedly saved it. (laughs) So you two both like the show, and I'm more on the not-a-fan end of the spectrum. So we're a little bit switching around the conversation. Um, I guess for me, the main thing with Insatiable is that it's about this fantasy of what if someone hurt me so badly I couldn't eat anymore and then my body became perfect, right? The Which we see play out with the main character, Patty, who's a fat girl who her classmates call Fatty Patty, who uh, gets into a fight with a homeless man when he tries to steal her chocolate bar. He hits her. She gets her jaw wired shut for three months. She can't eat. She's on a liquid diet. And then she becomes incredibly beautiful. And the rest of the show is her, like, trying to wreak her revenge on her classmates by going into beauty pageanting. So I think a lot of the disagreement about this show comes down to, do you think the show is subverting this fantasy? Or is it sort of leaning into it in an uncomfortable way? I think the position of the show is definitely that it's subverting the fantasy, right? Because Patty, once she becomes skinny, doesn't become a good person. She's been psychologically warped by these years of bullying. She's mean and she wants revenge and she low-key maybe murders a couple of people. (laughs) At least. (laughs) (laughs) So for me, what keeps the subversion of the fantasy from totally landing is that I don't think the worst case scenario for this show is Patty never fills the hole that is inside of her. She never finds a way to become healthy and a complete person. I think the show finds Patty's damage kind of sexy and fun. And as the audience, we are supposed to, too. I think that's why, like, the title card always lands on, Pat- on like, the pair of lips licking. Ugh, I love it. It's delicious. <laughs> I think that part of the show is supposed to be really, really fun and glamorous. I think what's actually the worst case scenario on this show is Patty becomes fat again. I think that it consistently links her fatness to a kind of patheticness. And the the value structure that that sets in place is part of why the show feels so gross and uncomfortable to me as a viewer. 
Um, the other question, of course, with the show is, is it funny? And that's sort of a hard thing to talk about because, like, either you laugh or you didn't. Mm. And I mostly did not laugh. Um, I think that... You monster. <laughs> <laughs> I think that it's it's constantly going for an aesthetic mode of, like, too muchness. Like, that's where the humor is. Just all of these details piling on top of yeah, each other. Yeah, the pageant is named Miss Magic Jesus, <laughs> exactly. where they do, like, a song about asking Jesus to get inside of them. I mean... First of all, not a super new joke. Like, well, the, no, but like, I, I don't know. As a per, as a guy from Georgia, sure. I like lived that world, and so like being in the number of church musicals that I was in, <laughs> like that hit home for me. And like, a, oh, this could happen. I mean, for me, I saw that joke better executed in Sister Act, the musical on Broadway, and I feel like that's not the bar Netflix show should be aiming for. Mm-hmm. But I think in general, the mode is the show moves so slowly and it doesn't have the the energy that I would want to keep those jokes from sort of cascading in a froth the way I think that the show is aiming for. And I think often the the button of the humor um, punches down in a kind of weird, uncomfortable way. Like there's a long, long running gag about Patty's best friend, Nani, who is who is a closeted lesbian and has a crush on Patty. And for... Basically, the first half of the season, the joke is just Nani's gay for Patty. That's hilarious somehow. See, but okay, so well, so I, I I'm I, I'm kind of in the middle. I'm mm. I I enjoyed the show. Uh, I think there are certain things that I there are certain characters Christian who Ugh. you know if the I could thank, thank God she killed him. Right, that like, was my favorite scene. The yeah. best part as she's yelling, "I'm a good person. Right. I'm a good person." Like. I felt that. I would uh, I would have liked to consign him to a flaming pit a lot earlier. And so, you know, and I I felt like it was it was kind of the, there is a lot too much in this show. However, I did not have the the complaints that you're expressing very well, Constance. For example, to, speaking about Nani, for me, you can see that there is a sense that some people might find it funny, but I don't think the show ever wants us to find Nani's obvious love for Patty sad or pathetic. I think that it's presented as something that's, you know, loyalty, which in many ways I think is is the value that the show really, really emphasizes. Nani loves Patty. Nani might be a lesbian and she's kind of, she's not sure. She's figuring it out. She's denying it at first, but eventually she finds a girlfriend. She does come out a little bit magically in many ways. But um, to me, the, I don't see that punching down. And I guess throughout, I see characters who in other shows might have been presented as sad and pathetic. I see them as like the heroes of the show. Donald Choi, Nani. Um, uh, Dallas Roberts. Yeah. Like we haven't I even think talked no about question, him question. I think Dallas Roberts' character, Bob, is the favorite of the show. Like it loves him. Mm-hmm. So this for me, I, like it hit home for me in another way as like a young gay person who knew he was gay but hadn't come out yet and the like uncomfortable weird relationships I had with other boys my age where like I was clearly obsessed with them but I didn't know how to process that and admit that and seeing that on screen is like oh I went through that oh I was so obsessed with this person that I like did some inappropriate things as a younger person and like seeing that depicted was just like oh you see my experience kind of thing yeah and i think that's part of like what's great about the show a lot of time for me at least was that it i saw a lot of my experience in it whether it's like 
being a fat person or being a gay person or being an effeminate person. I kept seeing myself in these characters, and that's why I loved them so much, because they were heightened versions of everything I was. And that's one of the reasons I glommed onto it so well. But we should talk about Dallas Roberts, because... He's the star of the show, I think. I mean, I love Debbie Ryan. I love everybody else in the cast. Alyssa Milano is great. Chris Gorham. Oh, my God. He's beautiful. Like, <laughs> everyone is good in this show. Yeah. But sh- but he is a star. Except, well, and I agree that he is a star, and it's it's about time that he got to be the star of a show. I didn't even know who he was oh before this. And, and, like, I've run in, like, you said it. Isaac Butler said it. A couple <laughs> of other people, like, online said, I'm just glad Dallas Roberts is getting more work. And I'm like, who is this guy? Right. But I should, the reason I interrupted you is because I think that we're, I mean, again, not in the most subtle way because no one could accuse this show of subtlety, but um, uh, that Bob Armstrong, because in a typ- something that's typical of the show, we have two characters named Bob, very key characters. But anyway, Bob Armstrong and Patty Bladell are very much paired. Like they have the, many of the same issues, many of the same causes. They are each other's saviors. And each other's, um, you know, best Devils hope. on the shoulder as right, well. Right, exactly. But they, they're not the same person, of course, but they have a ton in common. So I think if Bob is the hero, in a sense, that means that Patty too is a hero because they're so, par- they're paralleled so clearly. Well, to me, I think what distinguishes their arcs um, is that there's so much love and affection in the portrayal of Bob and especially in uh, his coming out story at the end of the show. Uh, when he begins to embrace his bisexuality and explore the possibility of a polyamorous relationship, which is really beautifully done and so rare on television. Um, And I just, I really wanted to see the same affection extended towards Patty, especially when she is fat. Um, One of the quotes about the show that I thought was really beautifully stated was from Linda Holmes at NPR. She says... uh, If what you want to demonstrate in a story is that someone deserves love in a particular state of being, you must show them being loved in that state. And if you, the storyteller, can't quite bring yourself to show it, you probably don't quite believe it. I think we see Bob being loved as who he is, and that's so moving. I don't think we get to see Patty being loved unless she is skinny and looking like Debbie Ryan. I see. I do think we get it from Nani. Mm -hmm. And I think that we... She doesn't get it from assholes like her mom, who is not exactly an asshole, but who is very troubled. She's selfish. Al- she's selfish, like as pretty much everybody in the show is. And she's an alcoholic. She's not in control of herself in a sense. She does love Patty, but she can't show it in any way at all. Nani, I think, is the only person who loves Patty unquestioningly. Uh, but I think that's this is where we're getting into the the central question of the show, which is, I kind of agree with Linda that that uh, maybe it is a flaw of the show that we don't ever see Patty, other than from Nani, getting any affection when she was fat. We see only the torture that she endured. But I also think that anytime you put someone in a fat suit, like it's basically impossible to to make them a real person. And mm-hmm. I think any time you have a fat suit in a show, it's a big, I don't know if it's a big mistake because clearly people see it as a necessity to show, like to have flashbacks to show what she went through. But yeah, it's, you can never have a fully realized person in a suit. Mm -hmm. And I, 
one of my issues with that review and a couple of people online about this is that like this this show isn't about fat happiness. It's not about finding happiness regardless of your size. It's about realizing that you can be skinny and you can still be a monster. Like it doesn't not, that doesn't fix it. Mm-hmm. Well, so here's my question about that argument is I feel like it is possible to make a show about a fat person who is desperately unhappy with themselves and who is treated terribly by the world around them and not like reflect the self-hatred of that fat character back out at the audience. Insatiable, I felt like, kept pushing me to kind of despise Patty in that fat suit a little bit. I think partially be- just because it is a fat suit and it looked so lumpy and fake and the, the yeah, cheek padding was yeah. so... like over the top and grotesque and poor Debbie Ryan looked very uncomfortable trying to move in it because her center of gravity was off. I think just the use of that prop is in its way dehumanizing and keeps pushing the audience to just constantly hate her when she's fat a little bit. But see, I, I never, never felt that. I never hated her when she no. was fat. I, I felt sorry for her because yeah. I like... I saw myself in her. I was like, I've been that fat kid. I've been made fun of as a child for being a like fat queer kid. And so I don't know. I never I never like hated her. I I hated her when she was skinny. I I hated her. And I loved that because when I hated her, I then was forced to reckon with, oh, wait, but I've also had these feelings like I've had these motivations of wanting to like not kill someone necessarily, but like ruin their lives or something like that. I've had that rage. I've had that sorrow of having to eat an entire sheet cake by myself. Um, those types of things. I just want to mention, one of the things that I think is important is ultimately, I think the disagreement over the show is how much faith you assign to the creators of how, like both good faith, like were they trying to do something decent or were they just piling on and being mean? But, or how much they had a story that they wanted to tell, how much they had uh just meaning that they wanted to, a takeaway they wanted to give viewers. And for me, I I feel like they did. I feel like they were saying that don't get hung up on appearances. Like over and over throughout the show, not just physical appearances, although clearly, you know, given the story of Patty, that's one that we really grab onto. But all of the characters almost had some moment where they were, where they chose to go with what they felt the appearance you know what their appearance should be and it was always something that ultimately made them sort of sad inside like the Coralie played by Alyssa Milano and Patty scene where they are in a mother-daughter beauty pageant together even though they're not related which like (laughs) of course sure (laughs) and they do a great scene where they topiary like hedge trimming or whatever and at the end Patty is so excited that like they won and wants to celebrate with uh Coralie and Coralie just dismisses her as like, oh no, sweetie, we're done now. Right, like, because she because her junior league I've friends, used you. yeah, her junior league friends are there, and she, what she really wants is not to be to have happiness and fulfillment, but to you know get in with the junior league women. But the and, other thing I would also say is that just to get back to Patty, is that she's eighteen, you know, she's seventeen when we meet her. She is a kid, and she is still so partly unformed, but and also having had terrible parenting. But also, well, and every is, adult is, in the show is horrible. Yeah, everybody in the show is horrible, and I think that Patty is. She's first of all so very close to the pain and the torture that she endured, but also she's a kid, and so when she lashes out, she she's not able to kind of 
you know, reel it back in because she, you know, she's 17 years old. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I thought it was the worst moment of my life, but looking back, it was one of the best because it brought me to the man who put me on the path to becoming the most famous beauty queen in the country. Hey, you got five bucks? How about that candy bar? It's not like you need it, fatty. What can I say? This story is full of some crazy shit. So let's get back to what's what happened. So we start with Patty getting punched in the face and her jaw getting broken. She loses a bunch of weight and she is at a hearing and Dallas Roberts, who plays Bob Armstrong, is there to be her defense attorney and ends up uh, getting her off because she twists things around on Chris Gorham's character, Bob Barnard, where he, she basically says, yeah, maybe I did it, but also like you're fat shaming me. And is that something that you want to do? And it was kind of a like gleeful wink at itself. Granted, the first episode is yeah. not good, right. just like the last episode is right. not good. But stipulated, there are just moments like that where it turns the expectation on itself, and that's what like fills me with a like camp glee. And that's I, I sent you my piece about it. Like that's what I feel about the show. Is this show is just camp, and I get to live in the inconsistent messiness of it. And so like after. She and Bob team up, then he's like, you should be a beauty queen and I can get you there. And then we go on the journey of Patty becoming a beauty queen and what she has to do and Bob helping her get there. So her plot at first is to seduce the homeless guy who punched her and then murder him. Thus, I guess. Well, I think the plot was at first is just to have sex with him and that's her revenge. Right. And then she moves from there to the idea of burning him alive And she thinks she doesn't do it, but she also goes into a fugue state and maybe does it. And then she goes and visits him at the hospital where he's been. Well, she um, she and Nani and um, our friend Donald Donald Choi get together and try to recreate the night. So they get her super drunk and she's so drunk that she has to get her stomach pumped. And that's why she's at the hospital. Which, by the way, was very American vandal. And I kind of feel like if you're going to come for the king there, like got to step up your game a little. Well, in a missed like a missed opportunity for cross promotion because they plug Santa Clarita <laughs> diet exactly, so, like, exactly endlessly. I feel like Drew Barrymore was like had a had a part in, line in her contract. <laughs> oh yes. Uh, so now the alcohol poisoned Patty ends up at the hospital. Homeless guy is also there. He's been badly burned. He accuses her of being the one who burned his hotel room, and then Bob has to sort of come to her rescue and pull this fantastic like courtroom drama monologue explaining how it couldn't possibly have been Patty. And that it's the weirdest scene because it's played very ambiguously, but Patty maybe just like wills him to death with her mind. And I have to say, this is one area where I have no patience for the show. It, the Toward the end of this first season, uh, especially the show develops 
what I guess we could call a supernatural plot line in terms of like, does she have a demon? Yeah, there's uh, an exorcism, which I, yeah. I will say, I think that that is a bad storyline and absurd. But to me, whenever you see supernatural stuff in a TV show, it signals to me this is a queer show. And that's why I'm always here for it. Like, that's why I prefer Teen Wolf to Riverdale any day of the week. So I'm, actually, I'm very with you on that. Thank you. Well, I'm glad we can agree on something. <laughs> but um, that is our first indication. And it's one that I rue that perhaps she does have some kind of power. But also this is but we also have been informed that the homeless guy um, is, uh, you know, has been a terrible alcoholic and has and he was going to AA and was yeah, still drinking. Yeah. And, and has a weak liver and a weak heart and is, you know, essentially destroyed his innards. So although there's a possibility that uh, Patty is is exerting some influence, there's also a good chance that it's merely life itself that is playing. Out. Yeah. And I mean, for all that that scene is absurd, it's to me, it is all worth it for the smirk that Debbie Ryan gets on her face when she realizes if I can do this, what else can I do? And I think that definitely one of the bright spots of this show is Debbie Ryan's performance and just like the glee that she takes in all of the terrible, terrible things she yeah, does. Who like, knew? She's a star. Yeah. But I do think that there is like for a show like this, which, you know, in 12 episodes, 12, 40, 45, sometimes 50 <sighs> minute episodes, you know, which like many shows these days burns through plot like, you know, some kind of supernova. Still, the actors really do perform incredibly well. There, I can't think of uh, any poor performances from any of the any of the leads. I mean, they don't all have good things to do. Like Christian, really, is a terrible role, but even that actor like does okay. Oh with yeah, it. well, he knows. He, they all he's for, there to smolder. He yeah. smolders. It's fine. Yeah, yeah, to me, they all know the show they're in. Yeah, like they all know what they're doing, and what they're doing is too much. Yeah. Well, so I guess the first uh, challenge that P- Patty, now completely and fully committed to becoming a beauty pageant queen, uh, meets is that the Miss Magic Jesus pageant is coming up very soon and she hasn't yet qualified. And so she. Well, so at first they go to Miss. Uh, bareback Buckaroo. Yes. Uh, so that uh, so that Patty can get some sense of the world of pageants. Um and also so that we can uh, get a little bit of Bob Armstrong's backstory with um, Stella Rose. With Stella Rose, played by the amazing Beverly D'Angelo, who I'd never seen Debbie Ryan before. But um, as soon as I saw and heard her, I thought, oh, wow, she's a young Beverly D'Angelo in the sense that she has this amazing voice that you think, wow, is she a 70 year old who's like Benjamin Buttoned? Because <laughs> her voice is very lived in and very... Um, I mean, very lovely. But anyway, uh, so we learn that uh, Stella Rose and Bob have both romantic history uh, and uh, opportunities and motivations to kind of, I don't know, double cross each other. We meet Stella Rose and her protege, Roxy, Mm -hmm. who we then come to find out might be Bob Armstrong's love child. And then it turns out, no, it's not Bob's arm. She's not Bob Armstrong's love child with Stella Rose. She's Bob Barnard's uh, love child with Stella Rose. And we think that like, oh, well, he slept with Stella Rose to get back at Barb Armstrong. But like that plays out differently, which we will get to. (laughs) But there's still more going on. So when we first met Bob Armstrong, he actually had just lost uh, or his mentee had just lost a pageant by being um, useless uh, at the... Uh, you mean a- ISIS? Like Italian ISIS? <laughs> I love him. 
Um, oh, yeah. Should I just do the rest of this show in an accent? <laughs> Since would you are help? from Georgia, that would be right. appropriate. Okay. Sure thing. <laughs> um, so Dixie Sinclair, um, who, you know, is the appearance part of the pageant, failed the knowledge and charm part by giving a dumb answer to one of the interview questions. And because uh, her mother, Regina Sinclair, was so mad at Bob, she falsely accused him of touching Dixie's hoo-ha. Now, some critics, Constance, you may be one, uh, <laughs> have pointed, you know, that yes, if this was a show that was being performed in earnest, this would be an absolutely terrible thing. But even then, it was clear to me that there's no, like, there's no suggestion that this is not the real world. In other parts of the show, I mean, clearly this is this does become something of a problem because later when the show attempts to make serious points, the fact that he has lost all contact with earnestness causes a problem because we are, for me, untethered from reality. So whereas if in a show, say if, if Jane the Virgin, which actually I think works in some similar territory in the sense of they burn through plot, it's essentially a soap opera like this show is. But they're very earnest. If they had tried to do something like that, it would have been awful. It would have been completely out of tone. It would have been like, oh, my God, this, you know, I would be up in arms. I'd be, you know, writing offended columns. But because it is, even at that point, so untethered from reality, to me, there's no issue with the fact that, you know, this Regina is a crazy person. And she is, is using the tools at her disposal, which are, you know, baseless accusations to get back at Bob. But Bob, as an accused sex offender, can't get any work, and so, well, oh, so he's like he's out of he's out of. Uh, he's Patrick, lost, his entire reputation. Yeah, is his now reputation ruined. is and in so shatter, that's why yes. he that's why he comes to Patty, right. and realizes they have to work together. Yeah, and so this is actually one of the things that keeps that really keeps that joke from landing for me is the sort of the punchline of the joke is RPC culture. Is going too far and just believing this baseless accusation. Can you even believe it? We need to like take some time and really delve into due process, uh, which you know, as we all know, is not the case. And in fact, statistically, we have a really we're very very bad at taking these accusations seriously and are much more likely to dismiss them out of hand. And while I take your point that the tone of the show is such that it wants you to be like, oh, don't take this seriously, I think. If you're going to engage with a joke like that and, in fact, make it an impetus for the plot, you do have a responsibility to take it kind of not seriously, but to at least engage with the issues in good faith. Well, but in a sense they do because we, again, if we're going to take it seriously, if we're not going to like, oh, we're in fantasy land, the fact that Bob is, although he doesn't, people aren't coming to him for legal advice and even though some people are kind of avoiding him on the street he's still part of the community he's not actually being treated like a sex offender he's not actually um you know going through the you know as he's not going through any of the terrible travails that uh sex offenders whether falsely accused or correctly accused endure uh, in our system so and then regina who has made this false accusation which is clear to us is false us as viewers um is clearly a person who has no morals, who has... Well, and so she gets arrested. She um, she is actually sleeping with Bob's 
son, Brick, who is smoking hot. <laughs> and she, like, actually gets arrested for sleeping with an underage boy. And so, like, that in that way, they do address, like, when it actually happens, justice works. And I think, for me at least, one of the things I love about this show is that, like, that's how it works. Like, when something like that happens, oh, of course, she's going to get arrested because, like, that is illegal. And that's what happens. And so, like, when we don't ex- – we're not expecting that to play out as some, like, part of the plot that's this big dramatic thing. No, like, when she gets in jail, things happen. But that kind of thing is just expected. There are so many, like, social debates that I feel like this show doesn't need to have because it's already decided that they're resolved. Like, oh, if someone is guilty of this, they just go to jail. If someone is gay, they're not going to get made fun of for being gay. Like, those types of things. Like, this world is just progressive – maybe too much. Mm -hmm. Well, but it does continually go back to the idea of false accusations of sexual assault being like an easy way out of something, right? That's part of how Patty gets out of of having punched the homeless guy. She suggests that he tried to touch her inappropriately. And the way it's played is not like, oh, that's like a really terrible thing to do. Although it sort of is because it's Patty and everything she does is kind of terrible. But the joke of the moment is like, oh, well, they can't argue with that because if they do, they'll be slut shaming her. See, but I think that's at least to me, that's a misreading of the scene because Mm -hmm. and this is like that scene. And I feel like the first scene when she punches the homeless guy have been misread a lot by critics because like the first scene when um, she gets punched by a homeless guy, she's not punching him because he's trying to eat her candy bar. She's punching him because he called her a fatty. And like that is a trigger for her. And then in the scene when she is. Like saying, oh, well, he tried to touch me. Chris Gorham, uh, Bob Armstrong, I mean, Bob Barnard is like, well, no, here's the quote that you said, like in the report about like, no one's going to take my food or something like and that. And he even says it in that weird way. He, he says it like this, like yeah. no one's going, no one takes fatty's food or something like right, that. Right. And like that is what he's accusing her of. He's not accu- He's He's not like she. Yes, she tries to use the excuse of like, oh, he was going to touch me. And he's like, no, that's not what you said. But I think the way that it plays, you see, like, the reactions from people in the courtroom and they're very like, oh, this perfect little delicate angelic white girl was going to be molested against her will. There's like the what she's harnessing is the desire to protect the sexuality of white women. Right. Well, I'm not sure. I didn't certainly didn't I didn't read it that particular way because it's interesting to me that they don't bring the homeless guy into the courtroom for various reasons. And so. I'm not sure that we're, you know, there's to me, there's this aspect of the show where one of the parallels between Bob and Patty is that he, as an attorney, understands the importance of appearances. And, you know, in a way that there's this really direct connection between his life as a pageant coach and his unmistakable skills in that arena and his understanding that the criminal justice system has this ridiculous streak where, like, if you look the right way, you get an unfair advantage. And he has been playing that for many years. Yeah. And so... The courtroom is a pageant. The courtroom is a pageant. And so for me that, yes, there's an an element of she's taking advantage of something that is unfair. But I'm not sure that I didn't see it as... uh, in the way that you did instead it's like yeah this is really unfair but she's you know she's working it she also in fact does something that i consider much worse uh, where she just completely perverts the course of justice when she attempts to kind of wink and nudge her way to get donald Choi 
to, uh, you know, essentially perjure himself. And that to me is so much worse uh, and is really just about her kind of figuring out her the power as she sees it of her new body. And, and that I really can't in any way justify. But I don't see what, she, you know, the 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 thing that happens with the bobs uh, in the way that you described it. Shirtless bob. Yes, yes. exactly. Shirt, exactly. Yes. Hot bob. Hot bob. And, and other bob. Other bob. <laughs> exactly. um, all right. So let's get back to the plot, I guess. So Carly wants to get into the Junior League. So she gets in touch with Etime Barnard, Bob's wife, um, who is an amazingly successful physician, always uh, flying around the country, uh, separating, doctoring. doctoring, separating conjoined twins. She's hardly ever at home, but she is the leader of the Junior League, the leader of the PTA, the PTA, something, something to do with the church fellowship. She's the person to get to know. So in an attempt to win her over and to regain or to gain perhaps for the first time her position in this town's uh, society, she, Coralie, Bob Armstrong's wife, is is essentially trying to seduce uh, Etta Mae Barnard, Bob Barnard's wife. Um, and she does this by starting a group for working women. That's where that's where we get the pageant that Patty has to compete in right. to then qualify for Miss Magic Jesus. And so they have this uh, mother-daughter pageant idea, but then, wait, Patty doesn't have a mom that is reliable because her mom is an alcoholic. Um, Who's we, always disappearing to, a, even now she's On the first recovery. day of school, she leaves. Right. She's like, I'll be back in a week so that I can take care of you better by like taking care of myself. Patty does indeed do the pageant with Coralie. Mm-hmm. But then Patty's mom, Angie, decides she too does want to do the pageant, maybe just to get back at Patty. It's not really clear what her motivation is. So she so she does the pageant with Nani, uh, Patty's best friend and who has a crush on her, uh, whose mom is dead. There's something very actually quite touching about this. You know, Carly and Patty realize they have a lot in common, both in terms of their backgrounds, their, their parenting styles. Uh, and Nani and Angie also kind of bond. In a way, it's like, again, it's like something that is not necessarily the great story because what we realize is they want, they don't really want Patty to get better because they enjoyed their relationship with mm-hmm. with kind of tortured Patty, with, you know, pained Patty because they had her to themselves in a way. When Patty has more of a life, she doesn't have as much time for Nani. Yeah, Donald Troy even says to Nani, like, you're acting like you're jealous. This, right. You're not... She's not your friend. You're obsessed with her. Yeah. Yeah. And so they, you know, I don't know if Nani and Angie realize this, but we realize that there are often kind of bad motivations uh, for or bad responses to Patty's, you know, having lost this weight that this, you know, in many ways for me, the show is a, is kind of a quest to integrate mm-hmm. both yourself and how people, how and other people's change into your relationships with them. And, and that's a place where we really see very clearly that even nice people, uh, which I think Nani definitely is a nice person, often have not nice motivations. The way that that episode ends is Coralie is very dismissive of Patty. So then Patty blows up her life by giving her a necklace that Stella Rose received from Bob that basically shows that they had an affair while Coralie and Bob were married. And so that blows up their life. Bob gets angry. Patty is angry. Everybody's upset. We move on to the next episode, Bikinis and Bitches. It's the dog car wash. 
I mean, not dog car wash. What am I saying? It's the bikini, bikini dog wash. The bikini dog wash. Yes. Which is um, somebody who's watched lots of high school uh, TV shows but never went to American high school. I have to tell you that I have the impression that American high school is one long car wash. Mm-hmm. And no, so, you're not like, wrong. Yeah. to me, that was like we need a fundraise. Bikinis. Let's wash yeah, things. Exactly, exactly. Just yeah. The only thing that on the, the only thing that happens more often in American high school than bikini car washes are like famous bands coming and playing uh, the the prom. Yes, exactly. Also, um, that wish yeah. we had a prom in this. <laughs> yeah, uh, next time. Yeah. So, um, yeah, fingers crossed for season two. <laughs> <laughs> um, and sorry. <laughs> so. Uh, they're like a car wash is played out, a dog wash is played out. How about uh, like wait? Sorry, a dog adoption is played out. I don't remember exactly. I what think the joke it was a uh, bikini car wash is played out, dog wash is played out. Let's do a bikini dog wash. Yes, that's what it is. Great. So then they're like bikini dog wash. Let's do it. So they show up. Everybody's there. This also is the episode where we get my favorite joke personally, which is. Brick volunteering at the LGBTQ center and he's painting over the word gay like inside the center and one of the people at the center is like what are you doing he's like oh I'm just painting over the I was told to paint over the slurs and he's just painting over this like wall that has like gay queer lesbian like just in like <laughs> su- like right. like bright sunny font and sh- and the woman is just like no sweetie he meant outside and then it cuts <laughs> to like swastikas and <laughs> right. like the word faggot misspelled and all these types of things. It's like, that is so funny to me. I think the show is very funny. It was, this was a show that I, um, that, that amused me and that it really never did offend me even except maybe some of those dental things, but, um, <laughs> Oh, June and her, and my uh, dental obsession, but yes, sensitive teeth topics. <laughs> exactly. But, um, but I did find it very, very funny. Were there things that you, that yeah. you enjoyed constantly? Is there something you liked did we bring you here under false pretenses? I think that the voiceover jokes are consistently pretty solid. I think my issue with the humor is that there's not enough of that. There's way too much Dixie. Oh, my God. Uh, and that actually, yeah. She's I'm their sorry, go-to like, comic relief yeah. character and everything about her is so grating. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I liked her at first. She definitely staled on me really quickly. I think, at least to me, they used her less and less by the end of the season. Well, well there's definitely that shift that comes, the tonal shift that comes halfway through where it gets less campy like when she stops and more sincere. Living with them. Yeah. I am ready to accept that there are some issues with the show. And one of the things that is um, is weird and I wish didn't happen even though I understand that it's part of maybe the show's biggest kind of takeaway and the big the point that it most wants to underline, uh, you know, and highlight is kind of absentees. Like almost all of the pain, I think, ultimately in everybody comes from absentee parents or absentee children or absentee friends or just absenteeism. And yet the show just removes people for long stretches. I mean, Etime Barnard just disappears. She goes oh, off doctor. Yeah, and she's gone for a while. Coralie just disappears. I mean, again, she's mad at Bob, but she just disappears. We don't see where she goes when she's not in Bob's life. Still um, and Roxy don't pop up until eleven and twelve after we saw them in like three, four or five. Exactly. And there's just like a whole lot of that where I understand there's a lot of plot that but I wish they had not chosen to to absent people in, in quite so often because to me, that that makes – in some ways, I was glad because when Christian wasn't there, I was happy. Uh, you forget Bob has a dad, though. Well, exactly. And I don't – Oh, he does, doesn't right. he? His dad has a heart attack. 
And That's like, right. where did that plot go? What? Yeah. yeah, see? Or like the PI, you remember who takes the pictures? Oh my God, yeah. Of like Magnolia, yeah. he just disappears. Like the Honestly, whole- there are parts of it where it felt like there was so much that they had maybe even like taped a lot more and then yeah. cut it down and then realized, oh, we've cut out like plots that we thought yeah. we had. Yeah. Um, okay, so we have the bikini dog wash which gets saved by Brick in the LGBTQ center, and they end up having a crazy fun time. But also, the entire time I was watching, I was like, these people who, they may be drag queens, some of them may be trans women, like, would certainly not be getting their makeup wet like this. <laughs> like, this is insane. Uh, but anyway, also... And, and it's, it's really too bad that we never learn any of their names. No, of course not. And also Brick says, as he's, like, bringing them over, he's like, they've been tweeting about it on social media the whole time. So, like, it's getting big. Yeah. As if, like, these people just hanging out at the LGBTQ center are, like, big Twitter presences that are just drawing everyone in this, like, small town in Georgia to a... Bikini dog wash. I have Everyone no problem knows with that. queer people are great at Twitter. That's oh, it's, it's true. It's true. <laughs> um, okay, so we have that, and then we get to the Dunkin' Donut episode, which is the baptism. Oh. She wins the pageant, and so she qualifies for Miss Magic Jesus. But it turns out she's never been baptized, and you have to be baptized to be Miss Magic Jesus because it's a Baptist like competition. It seems like because that's at least the church that is hosting and everything. So she starts going through spiritual counseling along with Bob, who's like, oh, well, I guess I could be your godfather. And Bob only realizes he's being a bad dad to Brick when he is doing it to become a better godfather. And Brick's like, what the fuck, dad? Like, you're supposed to be my dad. And you're only realizing you're a bad dad because you're being a dad to someone else. You're awful. And so they like go through the baptism. Bob gets dunked. And then Patty gets dunked and you think that she's having this epiphany because she's been dosed with, uh, what was it, Molly? Something. I think she I was think dosed Molly. with Molly. Yeah. And she like she's you think she's going to like have this moving religious experience. She's like talking about it. But then as she's underwater, she sees this donut and this donut's like, hey there, girl. Hey, I'm, I'm the hole that will never be filled. Be selfish. Don't give in to this like selflessness that this that this uh, church leader played by Michael Ian Black wonderfully. Um regardless of how bad his decisions in real life are. Um, just just don't listen to him. Be selfish. And so as soon as she comes out, it's, the, to me, the sexiest scene in the entire show where she comes out soaking wet with that bikini under the white, um, like, see-through outfit, and she's just like, I'm here, I'm hot, I'm ready to, like, own everything. And she then immediately ditches Brick goes to Christian, who's this, like, bad boy, who's the son of the minister, who, as a son of a minister myself, <laughs> I get it. Not really, not really. Um, he's trash. And so she, like, goes to him, and they then hook up in the uh, church playground, which is a very accurate depiction of a church playground, having been too many of them as a child. Um, and as she is getting eaten out, someone videotapes her. And so then we move on to uh, the next episode, which is Miss Magic Jesus. And this is where first we find out that someone has videotaped her and has sent the like video to the board. And she is getting like, I don't know. Yeah, she's getting disqualified. And so then she's like, yeah, but I never actually like there was no P in the V. And so then she ends up getting qualified. And this is when we first meet D. Right. Who is. Um, Nani's love interest. So D is a 
supposed to be, I think, an answer to the question of whether this show is fatphobic because she is fat and she is proud of it and she's black and she's a lesbian. She's also and, a college student. I'm yeah, very unclear with like and, the yeah, age and, limits because she right. said she goes to Emory. Right. I was at Emory. So I, <laughs> this I heard. Is like, this is like your life story. I this. feel like I wrote this <laughs> or like I birthed it. But anyway. <laughs> So she is supposed to be like, hey, this show is not fat phobic because look, here's a fat woman who's proud of being fat. But for me, she was like such a token. Like, yeah. She she has no identity outside of her identity. Yeah. Program. And yes. she's, she's, I think, the first time or at least the um, most heavy handed time that we get the show's attempt at what it's quote unquote saying. Yeah. And I never like when a show says something because basically she and Patty are sitting next to each other and Patty's like it's my turn I deserve this boy now like I've been fat for so long that now I'm skinny I deserve this happiness and Dee just looks at her and is basically like just because you're pretty on the outside doesn't mean you're pretty on the inside like you sound like a bitch I mean in some ways it's too bad because in many ways Dee is this is a character that you kind of love to see on the other hand she's far too on the nose um, she and also, as far as we know, at least she's the only character of color who doesn't have a white parent. Dixie, her she's adopted. Her mom is white. Bob, oh, Donald Choi. Oh, right, right, right. Donald Choi. We, we at least know that his father is Korean, but hey, but um, yeah. So that's true. So it does almost feel like the only reason we can't say that D is a character of color without a white parent is they did not bother to give her a backstory or parents or anything like that. She just exists as a walking talking point. Yeah, it, and there's it's kind of hard to argue with that because, yeah, that's kind of how they used her. Um, and it's too bad because she does open up Nani, I think, in an interesting way. I mean, there's, there's Ugh, nothing that, intrinsic to D. They're like one of the best scenes for me was when they're in that bathroom and she's just yeah. and D is just hitting on Nani and Nani's wearing this shirt that the best shirt of the entire series, which is just a button down with a pocket that has eyebrows and eyes embroidered on it like that is queer culture exactly and i think that storyline is part one of the first signals we get about the shift in tone that's coming because this is when nani's sexuality stops being a joke and starts to be like an actual lived experience for her Mm -hmm. there's like a real genuine shift halfway through this show where suddenly it stops being pure camp and it starts to have a sort of sincerity and an emotional resonance. No, and the important thing about that is I agree with that. And unfortunately, the tonal tonal shifts are always odd if they, because it's hard to make them work. But then it half moves from camp to, you know, something tender and sweet and half moves to this supernatural bullshit so yeah so we should get into that yes so um after miss magic jesus she does not win miss magic jesus uh it because turns out bob bernard gave his daughter magnolia magnolia the answers which she surely didn't this, like, she's never lost a pageant and no, she course. didn't even need to win this one so whatever yeah she she wins this one uh because she there's like a component that was added at the last minute that was like Bible trivia, which I would be awesome at. <laughs> and um, yes, yeah, did the, you did you do a kind of jeopardy? And when they were giving the answers, oh, yes. you you came up with the questions. Oh yes, I. What I, was the answer to jo- one of the answers was Josh? I didn't know what that was. Oh, I I don't remember. Yeah, um, but I'm, I'm sure. Head. I'm sure. No, Josh was an answer, <laughs> um, or like Joshua or something. So anyway, Bob Barnard gets the uh, quiz answers for his daughter and gives them to her, and then she's also hopped up on like coke. 
at the same time. Right. Or She's something also like that. a drug and Adderall alcohol. Adderall or something. Yeah, yeah that, that yeah. whole thing. And then yeah. we lose and Magnolia she, for a couple episodes because yeah. she like right. goes to, right. that's Rehab. another like And her absentee. motivation for this whole thing is the sort of love quadrangle with Brick and Christian where she and Patty have kind of been trading them back and forth. And at this point, yeah. Patty mm-hmm. has both of them. And right. Magnolia is like not here for that. Exactly. Yeah. So after uh, Magnolia wins, then Bob Barnard realizes how much of a problem his daughter has. And so he's like, well, we need to get her disqualified. So he gives Bob Armstrong that like, hey, she had the quiz answers, which Magnolia overhears him revealing and then goes and ODs. And then she gets sent to um, rehab for a couple episodes. So she gets to be absentee for a while as well. Um, so um, Patty loses. And then. But she and Christian head up, light out for oh, the territory. Right, right, right. So she and Christian run off. And so then Patty is, has a chance to be Miss Magic Jesus, but she has to come back from her like romp with Christian. And so. Her, yeah, her cross border fuck fest has ex- to be. <laughs> her cross border fuck fest, yes. yes. Has to be foreshortened and she returns. So now that Patty is the, the winner of Miss Magic Jesus, she now needs a sponsor for regionals. So she goes to the Wiener Taco, which we haven't even mentioned yet, and is the place that her mom works and asks the new owners, which are Donald Choi's dad, uh, if he will sponsor her for regionals. And then eventually, like after some negotiations, he does. They have like a big grand opening and Patty is there to... Uh, I guess like be a spokesperson essentially? Yes. So Dixie crawls on top of the uh, Wienermobile along with Patty who's like celebrating the grand opening. They get into a fight. Patty knocks out her... Um, Patty knocks out veneers. the veneers yeah. showing that she has like these weird shark teeth that... Is not yeah like just, no way they make that joke about a non Asian character like yeah. yeah um she bites Patty giving her like a vampire looking like bite mark Patty shoves her off of the truck and basically maybe paralyzes her maybe kills her who knows yeah. um, Patty certainly thinks she's killed her yes yeah. uh, this to me is one of the it's it's a I don't know if satire is quite the right word but it's a play on a storyline that happens quite a lot on television and has never once happened in real life. You know, people being finding themselves on top of a buzz, having yeah, a just fight. never get on top of a car, guys. Just yeah, don't. exactly. 16, you know, 17, maybe just turned 18 year olds, uh, you know, ha- fighting on top of a buzz. It just has never happened in real life. I swear I've seen it two or three times on television over my long life. And like this to me is like, it's part of the satire on high school TV shows. Um, yeah, and I, so, yeah, like, I mean, at this point, that's like the dominant mode for high school TV shows, right? right is to right. satirize the existing tropes. I yeah. feel like Insatiable's not doing that in a particularly original or skilled way for me. But I see now, if it was, if it wasn't so Gonzo, I would see that because yeah, that bit. Nothing original. And, I, and we're at now the stage where I, other than what's going to happen with the Bobs and Coralie, I'm, I don't have a lot to be like enthusiastic about. The, the plot gets yeah. aggravating to me. But I think in the mode that we're in, it, or if that was all that, if that was all that there was, no. But the fact that we've had like everything has been thrown at us, if you're still with it, absolutely, I'm here for it. Mm-hmm. So, Patty is the like victor of this vampire bitch fight, which is a gr- like a great meme. I love it. And then she then uh, Dixie comes back to school and everyone turns on Patty. And then Patty realizes she has to rehab her image. So she has a roast. And at that roast, everything falls apart. I want a roast for my birthday. <laughs> I love it. And so while that's happening, we also get the bobs fighting in the bathroom. 
Uh, and that's where, like, that's where to me the s- second half of the show lives. Is, oh, for sure. Is Bob, yeah. Bob, and uh, Coralie. It's yeah. not like I feel like there's no question that that is the most heartfelt and beautifully written part of the entire show for me. Yeah. Yes, yeah. it's kind of one of those one of those three or four moments in the show that just shook me. And it was they're fighting in the bathroom over something that seems probably non consequential. Um, and we know that Bob Armstrong has a toupee. And so at one point when they're tussling, Bob Barnard rips the toupee off and you just see Bob Armstrong shatter. He's just become this like sad, distraught person who realizes that like all of his armor has been ripped off. And then instead of Bob Armstrong, instead of Barnard making fun of him, he just looks at him and says, you're beautiful. And then they kiss. Yeah. So. Yeah. And so then we so then Bob Barnard, who has spent the entire show finding excuses to take his shirt off, which is another bit, a very funny bit throughout the show, especially for people who watch Covert Affairs and astonished at every time. And, and Lucky Betty. And, 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 and Ugly Betty. And wondered how could they find another excuse for this character to take his shirt off? Well, in this show, they do it so frequently and with such joy that like, that's how you do it. Um, but uh, we learned that Bob Barnard has always been a bit gay for Bob Armstrong. And since they were 14. Since they were 14 and, and has, again, like many of the characters, constructed another edifice for the sake of appearances and has never really, although he has had affairs, he's never kind of never never adopted a gay lifestyle, never doesn't consider himself gay, even though, or does he? He does. Okay. He considers himself. And that's one of the like interesting points, I think, is um, Bob Armstrong and Bob Barnard have a discussion at one point where Bob's like, where Armstrong's like, maybe I'm bi. And that's like, Bob Barnard says all the wrong things that right. all gay men tend to say, which is very frustrating about like, oh, well, bi is just a like route to gay. On the train to gay. Though, which yeah. is wrong. But yeah. they like talk about both actually finding women attractive and liking sleeping with women. And that's when Bob Barnard is like, oh, no, but I identify as gay emotionally. Like, right. that's who I am. And and so then Bob and Bob have to reckon with, like, what this means to their life. Bob Armstrong really wants – he still loves his wife, Coralie. Mm-hmm. And we've been shown over and over that, like, he is actually attracted to her as well. Yeah. Like, their first scene that we see of them together in the whole show, they have sex in the kitchen. And then they're like, there's a joke made by his son about, right. like, you still have something on your pants. Right. Um, it's clear that they love each other and that they're into each other. And right. so Bob has to, like, figure out – Okay, there's this thing that I've been wanting that's more than just my wife, but also I love my wife. Yeah. And so that whole next episode is then him reckoning with how do I how do I have it both ways? Yeah. And there is essentially a, a threesome scene which is actually not graphic in any way they they kiss it's really romantic yeah actually. exactly mm-hmm. yeah it is it's very romantic. I was actually just watching it right before we came in here yeah um, and it's and it's a really beautiful like Finally, after a show that's been all about people just doing things for the sake of appearances, not doing the thing they need to do to actualize, three of the people do something to actualize. They get in touch with what they really want, what they really need, and it seems amazing. It seems very caring, very, very good for everyone involved. And it is like one of the rare, like unqualified as you say, romantic and kind of beautiful moments of the of the whole show. And it's it's like, yeah, do this, guys, do this, do more of this, do more nice things that you really want, not what you think the Junior League wants mm-hmm. to see. 
Yeah. So after they have their like threesome night together or day together, I guess, actually, um, and they uh, have had a great time. Bob then thinks Bob Armstrong thinks, oh, this is resolved. Like this is this is what we will be. We'll be a thruple. And neither of the other two want that. And he has to come to terms with the fact that this is like what he might need. But neither of the people that he wants to have it with need that or can accommodate that right or or can be open about that and it's 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 hard for me to tell if it is again one of these like mm, community wouldn't support this or whether internally they they simply can't make it work it, th- that's not clear to me i f- i feel like just to me at least it is not one of those appearance moments because uh corley says to bob you're all that i need like mm. i don't need bob barnard i just need you and that's not all that Bob Armstrong needs. Mm-hmm. And so right. he's a polyamorous person trying to be in a relationship with two monogamous people. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And it's just thrilling to have a TV show where polyamory is explored by adults mm-hmm. in a casual way that is not like weirdly voyeuristic or judgmental. Mm-hmm. It's just presenting it as a possibility. Mm-hmm. An option that might be right for some people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so at the end of the season, Bob is then basically forced with an ultimatum from both of them of you have to choose. Do you want to stay with Coralie or do you want to go with Bob Barnard? And that's kind of where we end Bob's storyline. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Bob told me I had to face my truth. And now, it was all too clear. I was selfish destructive and so caught up in my own self-righteous anger that I didn't think about how my actions would affect anyone else. Bob was right. I was ugly on the inside, so it didn't matter what my outsides looked like. Not anymore. So who cared what I ate? I just didn't want to feel this pain. I didn't want to feel anything at all. So I turned to the only friend I had left. Happy birthday, Fatty Patty. So I cannot bear to go into too much detail of what happens to Patty. At her 18th birthday, which is the roast, essentially Patty manages to either, depending on your point of view... She feels abandoned. She feels abandoned and she is abandoned and maybe she causes it and maybe the fact that it's her 18th birthday should have gotten her some slack. But anyway, her mother leaves, Nani leaves, Bob leaves and in her anger, she lashes out and she tells the world, the world of this town, which is the only world that matters to anybody in this town, that Bob and Bob are gay and that they're involved together. And she kind of hates herself for doing it on some level, but she does end up completely abandoned, completely alone. um, And she has hurt or has been hurt by just about everybody in her life. 
Yeah. So at the end of the roast, Patty has totally alienated Bob, who's the most important person in her life at this time. She's ruined his life. He tells her that he was wrong about her, that he thought that because she was beautiful on the outside, she was beautiful on the inside, too. But she's not. And so in this fit of self-loathing and despair, she goes and she eats uh, the entire sheet cake that was brought for her birthday. And it's an unbroken take. And you can see her eating. And then as it fades to black, you just hear her eating and sort of gently sobbing. And over I, the entire credits. Over the entire credits, yeah. Yeah, and I like pressed, pressed play to keep watching them. And it was rough. So for me, this is the big place where you see what I was talking about a little at the top of the show, which is that the worst case scenario for the show is not Patty never fills this hole inside of her, but Patty gets fat again. Because in the next episode, immediately what you see is Patty deciding that she's going to get back on the pageant track. Because she's gained like 10 pounds. Yeah, she's gained 10 pounds. So she reconnects with the figures who are consistently linked to the idea of like the healthy, good Patty who are Coralie and Brick. And they're like, okay. We're gonna get. We're gonna help you lose this weight. You're gonna use all of these like wrestling crash diet techniques. You're gonna do like really unhealthy compulsive stuff, and then you'll be fixed. And that's sort of like, okay, you guys, don't worry. She's still gonna look like Debbie Ryan. She's not gonna go back into the fat suit. That would be the worst possible outcome here, and it's not gonna happen. For me, that's where you really see the the value structures of the show in place. That's. that's I think a, that's a very good point. Yeah, and and certainly that fear of. Um, it's hard to know what would be the worst case scenario. I mean, the one that you just sketched out is definitely something that they are toying with, that they constantly suggest could happen. And I don't know that we, they don't really go into whether that would be a good thing or a bad thing, because I think there's an assumption that the audience would know like that that would be a bad thing for Patty, just because in many ways it would, it, it would just mean that she had made no progress. Um, to me, though, it, in a sense, shows, you know, just reminds us that for all of the, for me, the biggest problem with the show is that they presented it as a revenge play. And she does say it sometimes. It's not just that that's what Netflix put on the description of the show. She, she, you know, explicitly says, I want my revenge. But what, for me, that scene at the end of that episode really reminded us of how desperate she is and how sad she is and how alone she is and how, just how much pain she's in. Yeah, and she's a kid. Like, yeah, exactly. She's just turned 18. I think, to me, like, why that scene is so haunting is because to teens, everything is the biggest deal. And everything is the end of the world. And so you have to, like, when you feel abandoned and lost, you retreat to the comfort of food or the comfort of a drug or the comfort of something that will pull you outside of yourself. And I I think that it, it highlights like the desperation that you can feel sometimes as a teen who feels lost and alone is like, Oh, I need to go back to this comfort and this comfort for me is food. And the scene is not a true portrayal of like what binge eating is like, but I think because it is so, heightened as you're like just hearing her like breathing heavily and crying as she's just shoving her mouth with food is that you're forced to like reckon with the times when you've done that or at least that's what I yeah I mean it's tricky because I mean this is where I get caught up on the unevenness of tone because if none of it has mattered and if it's all like oh it's in a fanciful world it's heightened it's not you know you can't treat it with reality to be brought to reality 
kind of pulls everything into question because it does feel quite real to me. It's certainly not played for laughs in any way. That's where the trouble is. Like, if nothing matters, if we don't take things seriously, what happens when something that we should take seriously comes up? It does sort of start to feel like they're punishing the audience for reacting in the way the audience was pushed to react, right? Because if this matters and if this is sad, then every other time that you laugh at something similar is suddenly like a transgression on your part. But you're just reacting the way the show wanted you to if you're laughing before this. See, my stance on this is that like, Nothing matters at all so that when those things that matter do, you are like shaken awake by it. Um, there, it, it reminds me of this uh, movie that I love uh, that is um, about these two Brooklyn girls and they're just insufferable and horrible and you hate them and you love watching them trying to get to the beach in a day. And it's just ugh, you, you love watching how bad they are. And. It's this movie called Fort Tilden. And then by the end of it, there's this one moment where um, you've hated them. They are like they hate each other by the end of it. And they get to this beach and all of a sudden, like one line is said by these characters that they meet up with that then shifts everything into focus so that you are kind of forced to like realize that. Oh, everything I've been watching is not what I've been watching, even if it is Uh, everything is dual layered in that like I'm allowed to hate them but then there are times when I am forced to be pulled inside of them as if oh I'm seeing me on screen I'm seeing the like horrible things that I could be pushed to do without even realizing it because I've just been enjoying this raucous insanity yeah I mean it's because I I never laughed at at Patty like I just didn't ever you know, I didn't feel like the show wanted me to. So it's hard for me. It's not to me. It's not a matter of like, oh, you know, that my response to her, like to me, she's always been somebody who's struggling to to reconcile who she is, to figure out who she is, to figure out can she still be a good person? Is she the good person that she thinks she is? And this scene is just is just the yeah, the real her, like ultimately when it comes down to it, she doesn't she doesn't have a coping mechanism and so it's you know there's there's nothing funny there's nothing it's just desperation and sadness and loneliness and in a way i wish that had been the end of the season because Mm. like the end of the season that would have been really great bullshit and you know like but then christian would still be yes that's true that's point you make a good point yes um but so i like i wish that i mean maybe you know i guess the, the chance of I suppose a little further back you put it, the, the weird, you know, the less likely it is that people will see it. But um, I don't know. Like to me, there's something that is the the you know the the most stunning scene of the film of the whole series, and kind of how you respond to it depends. You know, w- yeah, exactly. It depends on how you've been responding all the way through. Mm-hmm. But we have the whole like the end of the roast, then after the roast, um, Patty then has to reckon with like all the all the hurt that she has caused but also all the hurt that she feels she is then trying to figure out how to win regionals because now bob has abandoned her and uh, apparently is now coaching roxy and so, and so like who is her nemesis so then patty's like you know what i'm gonna steal the wiener taco suit and go and uh kidnap roxy and then roxy won't be able to compete and i will win because my biggest competition won't be there so she kidnaps roxy but as she's kidnapping her someone else comes and kidnaps her and we're like who could it be 
The next episode starts. We're just like, I don't know who wanted to kidnap her. Turns out it was Stella Rose and Roxy who were kidnapping her uh, because they wanted to fuck with Bob Armstrong and ruin his life because they both hate him for some unknown reason. (laughs) Well, I mean, for reasons of like, you've ruined my life. I've loved you. How could you leave me like this? But like also what the hell's happening? So she gets kidnapped. She maybe murders Stella Rose to get away um, and then like ends up back at the she ends up at regionals, but then Christian calls her and is like, Hey, meet me at this parking lot. So she goes to the parking lot. Christian's like, I've got Magnolia in the trunk of the car. So they open the trunk. Magnolia is there. Patty's like, Oh my God, what the fuck is happening? Stop. We need to get her out of here. Goes and unties Magnolia. Um, but he, he hands Christian hands Patty a tire iron and is like, we have to kill her. She's seen us now. We have to kill her. And so Patty then lets, magnolia run away and instead of running away with her or like getting in the car and driving away or doing anything she just starts beating christian to death which like best scene of the show (laughs) oh yes like no contact full-on bludgeoning that's like the one thing i think we can all agree on is like that was a great if only it could have happened in episode three yeah like when when we first met christian first time he shows up just break out the tire right Uh uh-huh because he's such trash Tire iron, like any scene that that Christian's in, there should just be a tire iron on the table. Yes, and so she um she doesn't know what to do, so she calls Bob. She has somehow taken his body that she is he has beat she has beaten to a pulp on the ground, put it into the trunk of his car, has driven his car out to like near the reservoir or something. Calls Bob to come get her. Bob shows up and is like, "Oh my God, this is awful." Has her change into her like dress for the competition because she is covered in blood and they then take the car and shove it into the like reservoir or lake or whatever and it just doesn't go in and there's like half of the car is still there and bob just yells something like i don't even know what he yells but he just is so exasperated and that is the end of the show and at the end we're like what the fuck happened is this good is this bad is this a plot um but uh, that's kind of the point. I, I want to know what happens next. Constance, I'm curious. Do you recommend people watch this? Just, uh, just give give it a wide berth? What do you think? Um, I think that is a choice every man must make for himself. <laughs> uh, I think certainly it's reasonable to want to watch it on your own and make up your own mind about it. But if you're someone who maybe has issues around PTSD for, about how people talk about fat people and you look at the trailer and the discourse around the show and you're like I don't want to inflict that on myself I think that's also a pretty reasonable choice I know I've spoken to people who identify as fat and who have tried watching the show and just had to turn it off every few minutes because they were feeling really triggered by what was happening so uh, I think we've given plentiful material about it and listeners should be encouraged to make up their own minds here that's interesting for me to hear because in one way I felt I mean, and I completely understand why. And, and um, like, we saw such a tiny, you know, she was called Fatty Patty. If that's right, right? Fatty, not yes, Patty. Fatty, Fatty Patty. She was called Fatty yeah, Patty. Yeah, she says to herself at the uh, happy birthday, Fatty Patty. Yeah. And then she digs in. So we know that she was called that. We know that kids would, you know, one girl stole her donut. And so, so, so to me, like, I om- like not again. I understand why you can't, but I almost wish it had been clearer how much pain this had caused her. Because I think you know you don't need anybody to say kids bullying's bad. Um, 
and that we've seen so much bullying on television. Like, I almost, to me, there's a sense of like, it's not real enough. But again, I completely understand why you you don't just keep showing it over and over. But I, to me, you do get the sense that she had an awful time without having to have it kind of put in your face too much that that she went through this. Um, I did enjoy it. I, as it has, has been clear, there are things that I did not like. I don't care for supernatural shows, even Buffy. Um, I'm Whoa. just just not into gonna it. Gonna have to fight now. I'm, I'm gonna have to unplug your mic. <laughs> we're sorry, uh, Danielle. We're starting this entire podcast over. It's just gonna be me and Constance. June is in no way authority on any of these issues. So there are many things that I didn't like, but I loved the 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 campiness of it. I loved the humor, and I loved the big play out with the thruple. Yeah. Um. I mean, if it's not clear from everything I've said in this podcast so far, I'm a blind stan. I love it. I'm getting a Debbie Ryan tattoo on my chest tomorrow. Um, it's just a great show. I I would urge everyone to try it uh, at least. I almost want to tell them to start in episode three, though, because the first episode is not yes. good. Yes. I, I, I think starting in episode two or three is a good idea. I think with actually a lot of shows, like that's yeah, how I yeah. enjoyed Castle Rock on Hulu recently. But like, I think you have to go in ready to have fun and if you if you're not gonna have fun just quit immediately because it's not gonna be for you and that's fine yeah yeah don't if if it's not if it's not obvious right from the start that this is going to be something you find sunny and funny run away because it's not it's not going to change it is what it is exactly um but obviously i had a great time i enjoyed (laughs) it i uh i guess my final question for everyone is would you watch the next season i mean if they paid me to (laughs) (laughs) june Yes, but if it was clear that it was going to be like a supernatural procedural, then I'm out. I I can't wait for a second season. I think it should come out tomorrow. <laughs> I'm ready for it. I uh, am, I hope they do it. I, I think, at least from what I've seen online, a lot of people like it, even if critics don't like it. Um, it has like an 80-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes from viewers. So hmm. uh, Exact eh. inverse. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So... I think I would definitely watch the second season. I'm ready for it. Uh, and I hope it happens. If it does, we'll have to have you both back to <laughs> uh, tear it apart and build it back together. Thanks for coming on, guys. Thank thanks you so much for having me. Um, thanks for listening. Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special Podcast feed. And if you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our producer is Danielle Hewitt. Thank you, Constance. Thank you. Thank you, June. You're welcome. And uh, we'll talk to you next time. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.